Welcome to the Well Ministry Podcast, where we want to help you understand the Bible. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Pastor Nathan Walter. All right, so if you would, turn with me to Matthew 15. This is going to be a fun one. I don't know if y'all looked ahead. All right. Uh, Matthew 15, 21 through 28, if you have a, a heading, it says the faith of the Canaanite woman. So leaving that place, um, let me just give you a little where he left, in case you're wondering. Uh, Jesus uh, had just uh, fed the 5,000, walked on water, and then he had a little confrontation with the Pharisees. So now he's left that place. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Your Bible might say true. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. So if you're familiar with this story, um, or even if you're hearing it for the first time, you may not like the way that Jesus is presented here. Uh, You may not like the way that Jesus talks to this woman. But we're going to look at it. And just a little bit of a spoiler, okay, the Greek word for dog that he uses is still dog, okay? So maybe you thought, oh, I think he I think it's princess in Greek. I know it's beautiful, something really good. Jesus is so soft and gentle, um, but the word is still going to be dog, okay? So Jesus has been uh, very busy ministering. Um, he's taught. He's done many healings. Uh, he sought rest, rest several times. If you've been with us, you know that he sought rest once with the disciples and people found him. And he was able to get a little bit of rest by himself and he sent the disciples out on the boat, but they got in trouble. So he had to walk out there. Okay. So he hasn't really found the rest that he's been looking for. Uh, he's been unsuccessful. And then he has a conf- confrontation. How, do you, how, how many times do you guys have this where you're like, really not rested, and Jesus is always at his best, but you're not rested, and then you're tested, or then you have a confrontation, and you're like, oh, you know, um, in, in my case, I'd be like, I really didn't do the best that I could in that situation because I wasn't in the right place. That's not Jesus, but for us, we can understand why he might seek rest. So he's seeking rest because he's just had this confrontation with the Pharisees and he's, he's aware that his time is drawing to a close. And so he wants to be with his disciples, teach them some things, prepare for what's about to happen. But there's no place in Israel where he's going to get any privacy. We've already seen it happen several times just in the last few chapters. Okay, so he's going to leave Israel and go to Tyre and Sidon. And we have a picture, a map of that um, There you go. So he goes north through Galilee up to Tyre and Sidon in this area, probably somewhere in between. Um, I know you guys were like, I can't even understand what he's saying unless I see a picture of it. So there it is. Um, So this time he goes north through Galilee to Tyre and Sidon uh, where the Phoenicians lived. Um, And this is the only time we see 
in, in the Bible that Jesus is outside of Jewish territory doing some kind of ministry. And there's a reason that he stayed in Jewish territory, um, but we're going to get into that later. So for now, we're going to look at Phoenicia and their culture and beliefs so we can get an idea of what this Canaanite woman may have been like. And I almost got lost in this. I was like studying history of the Phoenicians. I was like, this is so very interesting. And I'm like, wait, what am I doing? I'm writing a sermon. Doesn't even matter about Phoenicia. But uh, we know she's pagan, okay? And when you read like, oh, she's pagan, like nowadays, you're just like, oh, it just means she's a non-believer. She's just a sweet little lady, just a little non-believer. But that's not the case. Um, she's evil. No, I'm just kidding. Um, she is kind of though, okay? All right, so we're going to look at what they believed. It tells us in Mark 7.26 that she was a Greek born in Syrian Phoenicia, okay? Uh, so she has a mix of Greek and Phoenician beliefs, which are, in fact, very similar, and I'm going to show you that. Um, Phoenicians, if you don't know anything about them, were known as sea merchants, and actually, um, never mind, I won't tell you that. Um, so they're, they're sea merchants, and because of their trade, they actually invented a Phoenician alphabetic script of 22 letters in the 15th century um, to more easily communicate with all the different people that they were trading with. And it was adopted by the Greeks, and it's actually the ancestor of what we use now, our alphabet. You're welcome, okay? <laughs> Little. So, but because this profession put them in contact uh, with many different types of people, they were polytheistic. They had all different kinds of gods and different beliefs. Um, and so a few of those, the main ones, were Baal, because he's like popular everywhere you go, right? Baal and Belot, and Melkart and Eshman, okay? And I'm going to tell you a little bit about those gods, because everyone, you know, when you go to Christian church, what do you want to hear about? Other gods, right? These aren't real, okay? Just so you know, they say gods in the Bible, and Paul will say, oh, you worship other gods. He's just calling them what they call them, a little g, not a big g, okay? They're, they're not real, okay? So I'm going to tell you a little bit about that worship, because this is the area she comes from. This is what her belief system is before she comes to Jesus, Okay? Just looking for little ones, looking for little ones. Okay, so Baal, adults would gather around the altar of Baal. Uh, infants would then be burned alive as a sacrificial offering to the deity. And amid these horrific screams and the stench of the charred flesh, the men and women congregants would engage in uh, orgies altogether. And it's kind of, I mean, it's not funny. It's not laugh like out loud, ha ha. But he's a god of fertility, so if you were having trouble conceiving, you would go do this, right? And then magically, you'd get pregnant, right? Which is kind of crazy, because then she'd give birth and be like, oh my goodness, we had a baby, God bail. And it's like, well, it's funny, because he kind of looks like Tommy, you know? Like, just kind of how they would come to believe these things that, that are just crazy, okay? So Melkart, God of Tyre, he was the God of awakening or death and resurrection. The Greeks and Romans identified him because they would have two different things and they just kind of blended together. So eventually he becomes synonymous with Hercules, okay? So Melkart and Hercules are the same person, not real, but in that fantasy world, they're the same person, okay? So, and if you actually show, I have some Phoenician symbols that they found, um, I don't know if you've seen these symbols, but they're still in use today, okay? Um, so the god Eshman uh, was the god of Sidon. He was the god of healing, okay? Uh, and he was symbolized by a snake and was worshipped by the Greeks. He becomes known by the Greeks as Asclepius, the god of healing. 
whose symbol we still use. This is the symbol of the god of, Esh, of Eshman or Sclepius, and this is what we use for like uh, pharmacy. And the, the European logo is the one with the cup, and the American logo is the one with the, the rod. So, conspiracy. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not, not, I'm not saying that's evil. I'm just saying we've adapted a lot of things that are still here that we may not even realize, oh, this is, that's crazy that that's still around. Uh, so these are the gods of, of, of Tyre and Sidon. So this isn't some non-believer, okay? These are her gods when we read about how they're worshipped and what they believe. Like, this is what she believes. This is her belief system, okay? This is, this is who she is, okay? She's not just, just like, oh, she's some pagan. We don't know what she believes. She worships idols. She's made sacrifices, okay? And so this is who she is. And it's no wonder her daughter has a demon. Why does my daughter have a demon? Demon, I don't understand right? This is so crazy. Um, but also, not only is she in that kind of stuff, but also Josephus, who's a famous Jewish historian, he said, of the Phoenicians, the Tyrians have the most ill feeling towards us. So that area, those people didn't even like the Jews, okay? Um, so now we have a better idea of who she is and what area Jesus is in. And if we look in Mark 7, 24b, it gives us a little bit more information. It tells us that Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not, anyone, did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his present secret. So he's in a house. He's probably not going out that much, trying to keep his present secret. But even in these pagan places, they've heard who he is and where he is. Um, so, And you may wonder, like, why is Jesus trying to keep his present secret? Right? Shouldn't he be like, if he, especially if he knows the end is drawing near, shouldn't he be out ministering? Shouldn't he be out healing? Shouldn't he be doing these things? Um, shouldn't he be doing ministry everywhere he went? But he didn't, and we're going to get into that in a little bit. I'm just going to keep putting things off and say we'll get into it and never get into it, and you'll forget. And you'll be like, he explains things so well, but I don't. Um, so he can't keep his present secret. And so the moment she hears these mutterings that this Jesus is, is in town, staying at a house, she goes and she begins to cry out to him, son of David, have mercy on me. And he doesn't answer her. He, what we would say, ignores her. He ignores her as she's crying over and over again. But the disciples are there listening to this. And we know that she has to have been there for a very long time, crying out and calling out for, for Jesus, for the son of David to do something, right? And the disciples are like, answer her, answer her, man. And, they're, and let's just get this straight. They're not like, Lord, do something about this woman's hurt. They're like, send her away. And we don't know if they're like, Lord, just do something for the woman so she goes away or tell her to go away. Like, we're tired of hearing it. And you may think, oh, those disciples, they don't have any patience. But if you do think that, you don't have children. Because that's what children do. Children are just like, can I do? Can I do? Flynn, you can't look at your fantasy football team because it hasn't started. You have no fantasy football team. If you look at the page, there will be no players. It's nothing to you. That was like all weekend. But if he had had one, I'd be like, here, just do it. Just go away. Just go away. Right? But obviously in the loving way like Jesus did. Um, so um, they just want him to do, maybe do it or, or maybe tell her to go away. They just want it to end. But their hearts are not like, let's bless this woman. Right? That's not where they're at. 
Okay, their motivation is for peace and quiet. And so he finally answers her, and you're like, this is the moment. Jesus, 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 Jesus. I've been waiting for you to speak, and here he does. And he says, where does he say? I can't find it. Um, and, he, and, and, he, and he doesn't give her the answer she's looking for. He calls her, he calls her a dog, right? Well, at first he says, I was, I was sent to the lost sheep of Israel. Plain and cool. He says, I'm not here for you, okay? And this is actually a fulfillment of prophecy. He's not like, I don't want to do anything for you. He, this is a fulfillment of prophecy. This is what he came to do in Psalm 118, 22. It says, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The builders being the, the sons and daughters, the Jews, he was sent to the Jews first. That's fulfillment of prophecy. That's what he came to do. It's God's plan. It will be open to the Gentiles, but that is not what Jesus was sent to do. And Jesus was about his father's business. He was here to do what God told him to do and only what God told him to do. If you remember, when the devil tempts Jesus in the wilderness in Matthew 4, in one of the temptations, it says, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And so we know that he was able to refute the devil because the devil's like, worship me. And he says, it says in the Bible that we're to worship the Lord your God only. But also the devil reveals himself. The devil can reveal himself by speaking something that's not the same as what God has spoken because God has sent him to the Jews. And what did the devil say? He said, if you bow before me, I will give you all the kingdoms of the world. I'll give you all the kingdom of the world. And Jesus knows, well, that's not what God told me to do. That's not a part of God's plan. I am not here right now in this moment for all the kingdoms of the world. So the devil tips his hand in several ways because the devil doesn't know the plans of the Lord. Jesus knows the plans of the Lord. The devil doesn't know the plans of the Lord. And he's offering what he thinks God has offered to Jesus. He's like, I'll give you the same thing. It'll just be easier. But he's really offering more because that's sometimes what the devil will do he'll come and offer more if you will just do it his way i'll give you more if you just do it my way the devil tempts him with more influence the devil tempts him with more glory the devil says this will be easier this will be quicker right and, and we might be tempted to be like hey you know what i've been i've been here to save the people of the world, this will be easier. It will be quicker. And then once I have this influence, then I can go back to what God had told me to do, but I can also do, do a little bit more. But that's not what God had sent him to do. Sometimes we need to be like Jesus and be satisfied with what God has given us. It's not always, it's not always his desire to give us more. We always, and like Christians, we have this like culture where we're like, everything we're doing is for the next thing, you know? Like, I don't know if y'all know this. I'm just pastoring this church until I can get on TV. That's, that's the end goal. God's got that for me. You know, I'm not, I'm not satisfied until I have two planes, to fly from, no, I'm just kidding. But you know what I mean? Like that's, that's like what, and I'm not saying every pastor is like that. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying like we do have this like I'm, everything we're doing for God is because God's gonna give us more. 
and it makes us not faithful with what we have and not satisfied with what we have because we're kind of in a more culture, you know? I need to grow this. We need to grow that. We need to grow this. So that's like, that's like always the thing, like the numbers, right? And, and, it's, and it's very seldom like how many disciples, how many people are living for Christ? It's just like how many people are in the doors? How many people are out of the doors, Right? And we all do this. We all, we, we all do it from young to old. We always, and sometimes, look, God has more for us. He has more peace. He has more joy. He might have more for our ministries or whatever we're sent to do if we're faithful in the small things. But we can't be faithful in what God has given us if we're not happy with what God has given us. And we want more. Jesus is tempted with more, but he holds back and restricts himself to only working within what God has told him to do. Man, Christians, we could do so much more. It's, it's kind of crazy and weird. We could do so much more if we only did what God wanted us to do. And we're satisfied with that. Okay? So, Jesus, listen, Jesus has the gifting to do more. He has the gifting. He has the power to do more. He could do more, but he doesn't. He only does what God's called him to do. So Jesus refusing her isn't Jesus withholding love from her, okay? Him withholding or, or him refusing to help her is actually a matter of God's faithfulness to Israel and God's promise to Israel and a matter of obedience to the plans of the Lord, okay? But then she falls at his feet and says, Lord, help me. And now Jesus is gonna be sweet. Now, he says, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Now, we can soften this a little bit, okay? Um, but only a little bit. Because to call a person a dog, it's, it, it's not a compliment now, wasn't a compliment then. Okay, the Jews would call a lot of people dogs. They called um, Gentiles dogs, called Christians dogs at some point. Because um, in that time, you know, some of you might be like, well, I, you know, I see bumper stickers all the time that are like, I like dogs better than people. I wish I was a dog. Me and, you know. Does anybody have one of those? Okay, okay, okay. It's like, I don't want to offend anybody, but you should take that bumper sticker off. Um, no. So. Uh, but in that time, dogs are like dirty scavengers of the street. They're strays, they're diseased, they were savage. They're not like your cute little, your cute little, you know, shih tzu you got running around the house. They're all, they were all very nasty, okay? But that's not the word that Jesus uses for dogs. He's speaking her in Greek, because she's Greek, and he uses the word canaria, which were not the street dogs, but like a little household pet. So he's calling her a household pet dog, Okay not a street dog. So that's kind of nicer. Um, but a dog nonetheless. And we don't know Jesus' tone or his expression because a lot can change by your uh, tone, by your expression, by commas. Who knew? Commas can change everything, okay? Eats, shoots, and leaves. Um, it's a kid book. You'll get it one day when you have kids. Um, so we have no idea of knowing his tone or his expression or, or how he's saying this, but he's still calling her a dog. But what he is saying, by calling her a household dog, he's saying the children get fed first. 
the children get fed first, which is in line with what he came to do. Throughout the Bible, we see that the Jews were offered this first. Um, and, and we see this throughout everything. We actually see a visual representation of this in the temple, which can be seen on the television in one, two, three. No, you're good. You're good. Um, okay, so this is, this is the temple. And um, you can see this big, large wall around the structure. This, the, the golden part, obviously, the main temple, right? Um, and that little thing that looks kind of like the Red Cross sign, that's where the Jews are. Um, and, but this big courtyard out here is a Gentile's courtyard. They could come and worship God if they had converted and if they had believed like the Jews did and if they adapted to, their, to the Bible and the Torah and what God has said to do. So there's already an established um, way for the Gentiles to worship God, but they come after the Jews. The Jews came first. So many things. It's so cool once you start studying the temple, maybe one day we'll do it, with how we can see prophecy and how we can see God's treatment, how he does things that it's represented in his house. Okay, so that's represented. Everything is, is the same throughout. Jews first, then the Gentiles. Okay, and he says... He calls her a dog, but she doesn't get mad. She says, true, true. But even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's hand. And we can see she knows she's been called a household dog because she's, that, that's what leads her to this thing she says. But she doesn't get mad. She doesn't say, you're not being fair. She doesn't say, you are, you are treating me unjustly. You don't care. Right? I have a right just as much as they do. What have they done? She doesn't sit there and defend herself and say she's not what he said she was, that she deserves it, that she has the same rights, that she should have the same covenant, that she has done no wrong. She doesn't do any of that. Right? She says, true. You're right. You're right. But even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's hand. See, she comes and she's saying, she arrives calling him son of David, son of David, son of David. She's calling out son of David. And we hear that and we think, oh, she knows exactly who he is. She's calling out to the Messiah. She's calling out to the son of God, but she's not. A son of David is just a term for the Jewish Messiah or like a king. And so she's just, call, she's just saying what she's heard other people say. She wants something from Jesus. So she's coming to him saying what she thinks he wants to hear to be blessed. She just wants to be blessed. She wants her prayers answered. So she's coming and treating him with honor, treating him with respect, calling him by this respectful name the Jews say, but she has no understanding what she's saying. She's not proclaiming that he's the son of God. She has no idea what this means. She's just heard it before. And she's coming to him to heal her daughter. We can probably be pretty sure that she's already gone to Eshman. She's already gone to her God of healing. She's going to try what she knows first. She's probably gone from God to God to God to God for someone, something, a little, little rock shaped into a form, to heal her daughter. She's probably gone everywhere, and now Jesus is just, just the next thing, the next thing in the vicinity. I've tried that. I've tried that. I've tried that. Let me just try you. 
see, see if you can help out. No one else has been able. So she's just saying what, what she thinks he wants to hear. She wants to get this done, right? Is she just there to use him? What's going to happen after? Is Jesus going to heal her daughter? She comes up and says, heal my daughter. He's like, there you go. And she goes back and offers a sacrifice to Eshman. What's going to happen? If, if, if Jesus refuses her, what's her heart like? If Jesus says, no, I'm not going to help you. And she's like, I knew you weren't going to help me. I'm going to go back to Eshman. I'm going to go back to Eshman. I'm going to go back to the gods I know. I'm going to go back to what I know. If you don't give me what I want, if you don't do what I've asked you to do, then I'm going to go my own way again. This is an attitude they had back in the day. We don't have that kind of attitude with God, but you could see this in historical figures. If you don't give me what I want, I'm going back to what I did before. I'm just, I'm just calling out. I'm just crying out. And we've already seen earlier in this chapter that he was talking to the Jews. Jesus was talking to the Jews, and he quotes Isaiah, and he says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And he's talking to the Jews. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And here she is with less of an understanding, and she's honoring with her lips, but her heart is far from him. But then... She humbles herself before him and falls at his feet and says, yeah, you're right. You're right. I am a dog. You're right. I'm nothing. I'm not saying I have a right to what I'm asking for. I'm not saying I deserve what I'm asking for. I'm not saying I've earned what I'm asking for. I know who I am. And she humbles herself before him. And it changes his mind. But I don't think it actually is changing his mind. See, God, he sent Jesus to the Jews, but God will not turn away from a humble heart. Will not turn from a repentant heart. It's how the Gentiles got in anyway. And I feel, this is, I think Jesus is pushing her to awaken her faith to push her to a place where she'll come to a place. It's either like, man, I'm going to push you and you can humble yourself and you can, and you can come before me with the right attitude and, so that I can do something or you can be offended and walk away. I don't, whenever I picture this, I don't know why. Have you guys ever seen Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory? Yeah? Okay, cool. Uh, I, I know I mentioned a lot of movies and I thought, I know, you know, I think people might think that my mom just sat us in front of a TV and never cared for us. And that's true. It's part of my testimony. I'm just kidding. But she did work at a video store, so we got, like, free rentals right and left. Um, so, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. And if you don't know the story, I'll just tell the story real quick. It's a dark night. A mother is stirring soup in a small room with four people in a bed. She's singing the lamest song of the entire movie called Oh, Charlie. No, I'm just kidding. Um, okay, so, Willy Wonka... He gives out these tickets, they're in candy bars, and if you get a ticket, you get to go to his factory, which no one has been in in a, in a long time. And so these however many kids get a ticket, and before they go to the factory, they're visited by a man that's, you just know that he's shady. And he's like, hey, I'm from this other toy company, and we're looking for the recipe for the Everlasting Gobstopper. If you can get the recipe, we'll give you so much money. I just need the recipe. I don't, we don't even need the recipe. We just need one everlasting gobstopper. So they all go 
to the factory. And at the beginning, Willy Wonka gives them all an everlasting gobstopper. Okay, they have it in their hand. And they go through, through a series of misfortunate events. They're all eliminated. Um, and if you're really young, you're like, I think everybody just died. But they didn't. Um, and so they come to the end. And Charlie has even had a few events where he was disobedient. And, and he comes to the end and he's like, well, didn't I win? And Willy Wonka's like, no, you didn't win. And he just like turns into this and he's like angry. He's like, his like hair's going everywhere. And this is Gene Wilder. So it's like hair upon hair going everywhere. It's nuts. And he's just like, no, you didn't. You cost me money. You, you went up and touched, you got fingerprints all over the top of like the bubble place. And now I got to pay for that. I got to do this. You disobeyed me. I told you not to do that. You didn't win. You didn't win at all just because you made it to the end. And he's like irate with them. And Charlie is about to walk off and he stops and he turns around and he places the everlasting gobstopper on the table and starts to walk away. And Willy Wonka's entire mood changes. He's like, Charlie, I knew you could do it. Charlie, oh, and the moment I saw you, I knew that you would do it. The moment I saw you, I knew that you'd be the one to do it. I was pulling for you, Charlie. Let me show you what, I, what you want. Let me show you. I'm going to give you everything here. I, and, and, and it's the first time you really see Willy Wonka just like joyous. And he's like, the whole time he's taking Charlie around, you can just see his excitement for Charlie and how much he was pulling for Charlie. But he had to push Charlie to that place where Charlie would do what he needed to do so that he could could get the prize. And that's what I picture when I picture Jesus saying, saying, I don't, you're just a dog. And he's like pushing her just like, I just, come on, just come on. Just like, I just need you to humble yourself before me. Cause I, I, I know your daughter. I know she's been demon possessed. I know what you've tried. I know you've gone to those other gods and I'm sad for you. I'm sad that you don't know the living God. Just, just, just humble yourself. Just, just come here and fall on your knees and just humble yourself because God will not turn away from a humble, repentant heart. Come and get, come and get a miracle from the living God. Come and know me, but you've got to come this way. And so I just see him flipping like that, this gleam in his eye, like, oh, yes. I was waiting, and the disciples are like, what is happening right now? Like, we haven't eaten dinner, like, you know, but Jesus, and so Jesus, he says, and he doesn't just like, fine, you can have it. He's like, woman of great faith. And you know, Peter was right there, and he's like, Peter, remember the minute ago when like, you were on the water, and like, you didn't look at me, and you fell, and I was like, oh, oh, you of little doubt, you know, and then this lady, he's like, you of great faith, you know, and Peter's like, well, I'm walking on the water, and like, you know, you know, and, and Jesus wasn't impressed with him. He's like, you have great faith. Your request is granted. Your request is granted. He honors her. He honors her. And he, he, he gives her an honor that Peter was looking for just recently. But this lady who is, who is a pagan woman is given that honor. And we see this two times. Two different Gentiles are given honor and told they have great faith. And we see that they're the Gentiles who receive blessings and miracles, the centurion and her. The centurion has to humble himself because he's a man of great power and great honor. He's a Roman there over the Jews, and he has to come to this Jew and say, I need you. To, I need you. He humbles himself, and this woman humbles herself. And we may not like that part. You know, we all like, oh, yeah, humility. Oh, yeah, I'm so humble. I'm so humble. Everyone, everyone likes humble brags. But... We have to humble ourselves before Jesus. 
we all say that we're humble or that we, we have humility or we like humility, but no one likes to be humbled. No one likes to feel like they're nothing. Everyone wants to feel like we have great worth. But Jesus isn't asking her to do or asking us to do anything that he didn't do. In Philippians 2, 6, it says, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus humbled himself. He did not, he did not use the power to his advantage. I think one thing the American church needs to deal with is our arrogance. And when I say American church, we start thinking of like pastors and worship leaders and the system and we like get pictures, but the church is us. The church is us. I, even if we were thinking in the beginning and Jesus was like, you're, you, you're a dog. I'm like, I don't like that. That's arrogant. Who are we to critique the words of the Lord? Who are we to say, I don't like what you said, God, right? We're arrogant. We think so highly of ourselves. We've become prideful in so many ways. And it's why, it is why the devil has been able to lead us into false doctrine. Because we think so highly of ourselves. We hear what we want to hear. We're setting ourselves up as God. We can read something in the scriptures and we think, I don't know how many times I've talked to people who read something in the scriptures and like, well, I didn't like that. I didn't like that. So I stopped, so I deconstructed. Or I didn't like that. So I just don't believe that part. I heard a guy that's a pastor is like, I don't really like Paul. I'm like, you don't like the New Testament? Except that Jesus dying on the cross part and then it ends for you? It's like, yeah, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're so great. So... He's lying in a ditch somewhere. Um, I'm just kidding. He's still a pastor of a church. Um, leading people straight to hell. No. Um, maybe. Maybe. Um, but we hear what we want to hear. We, we have deal breakers with God. We have deal breakers. I, I've had people call me and say, hey, I read this, and I don't know what I think about it. And if this is true, I, I need to know what you have to say about it. And my first question always is, what does it mean to you? Is this so important to you that you will stop following God because you do not like what he has said? And I was like, well, no, no. And I'm like, well, you seem to be having an issue with it. What if my explanation doesn't change anything about it? Is it a place that you will not go? You refuse to go. You refuse to follow if that is who he is, if that is what he says. Is that a place you will not go? It's why, it's why we've started mixing so many things. We, we, we started, uh, you meet so many Christians who are just kind of spiritualists. It's just like they, you know, I have a little Buddha statue. Like I pray with my crystals. I do this thing and we have like this new age, this Buddhism. And we've mixed it all in because we don't even, we don't know what the Bible says. Or we says, yeah, but that was a long time ago. Yeah, but I've experienced this new things. We are becoming churches unto ourselves and we are deciding what is right and wrong. And when we do that, we're kind of polytheistic ourselves. We've become a polytheistic Christian society. And I'm not talking about people out there. I'm talking about people in here. 
And you can say, hey, you shouldn't be doing that. And they're like, head explodes. Because they just can't imagine that the word might say something different. Uh, I don't know why I wrote that. Once I heard a great man of God. It was last week. Um, Last week, um, we were at this conference. It just sounds so much greater if I say once in my many years of ministry. Um, so I, they were interviewing this pastor who was an amazing man, and they, they said, how, much, how do you have so much anointing on you? Which is kind of a weird question. Like, um, and he obviously was like, uh, that's a weird question. I don't know how to answer it. I don't know if there's a formula to it. But he said this. I'll tell you this. I saw that with Samuel. When his mother devoted him to God, she said no wine was t- would touch his lips. God told John the Baptist's mother to let no wine touch his lips. God told Aaron, let no wine touch your lips when you come into the tent of meeting. And I thought, if I can get more of God by doing that, I'm going to do it. Now, this isn't a sermon about drinking. But if we bristled at the thought that I might have been preaching that, might be something to you because what we do is we hold on to things that aren't necessarily like things God said not to do. But we can hold on to things and God says, I want that. And we say, no, you can't have that. And with things that aren't even bad, I'm not, I'm not just talking about drinking. Like, don't, don't feel like, like there are things I've had and God's like, oh, you know, I'm in a band and we're, we are ministering. I give my, I give my sermon every single night at, at, at bars everywhere. I cry. It's totally embarrassing. And, but I do it, God. And we do this thing for you. We do this band for you. And God's like, I want to give you the band. And like, but you gave it to me. You said in your word, it was fine. As long as I, as I didn't. You, you gave this to me. This is my ministry. This is something you gave to me. You can't just, you can't just take it back. You can't just take it back. You know what that's called? I don't know nowadays, but it's not good. It's not a good thing, God. This is mine now, right? We do that with so many things. We do with so many things. Everyone here has a different thing that God might say, I want that. And you're like, hmm. You have, if you're parents, there might be a situation with your kid, and God's like, I want, I want that. I want you to stop mentioning that to them. I'm going to handle it. And you're like, ah! But they need to be reminded daily, God. I don't know if you understand how dumb they are. You know, like, there are so many things we hold on to that God says, I want that. But we don't do it because our rights are more important to us. God, I, I, that's, I, it's my right to do it. It's okay. And that can become more important to us than having more of God. This pastor said, I was willing to do whatever it took to get more of God, where for many of us, it's like, I will do what, I'll do just enough. And then wonder, why am I not getting more of God? I'll give it, I'll give it to you later. We just like hold them behind our back like little kids. There, listen, this is like earl shattering for maybe some of you. There's no bill of rights in the word of God. Did you know that? There's no bill of rights. It's that he doesn't say, and you can do this and this and this can do this. You can have three drinks with 7% alcohol or less. Can't slam them. Can't finish them in less than a minute. You know, it's not, that's not, and that's just, that's just one little thing I'm like joking about. But there's no bill of rights. And we need to work out our faith. It says we should work out our faith in Philippians 2.12 with fear and trembling. Do we work out our faith with fear and trembling? Or are we more concerned with what we are allowed to do? 
Are we more concerned with what we're allowed to have, what he has given us? Because God will give you something and take it away. I promise, I promise you, if you, if God asks for something and you give it to him, it will be so much better. He may give it back. He may not. But it's for good that he asks for it. But he will have, there will be no other gods before him. And we may not worship little stone idols, but if there's something in our lives, we will not turn over to God when he asks for it. It is an idol. It's our God. It's more important for us to have that thing than to get more of God. And if you want more of God and you're wondering why you're at a standstill, I can guarantee you, you had a thought when I was talking about something. That's it. That's it. That's the thing that he wants you to give up. And the reason I'm talking about this is because we need to humble ourselves. Jesus became a servant and he told us to be like him, to become servants like he did, to become nothing. He, it's said in his word, he became nothing for us. But in our culture, we want to talk about the value that we all have, the worth that we have. Like, and, and I'm not saying we should think that we're nothing because we have enough problems with our confidence as is. But we need to be willing to become nothing as Jesus did for more of God. And so I want to invite you as a church to become nothing with me. If you're willing to have more of God, if you want more of God, if you've been crying out for more of God, this is how we do it, by becoming nothing, by being obedient even to death like Jesus. That is how we become more like him. That is how we see him move. Oh, the things we would see if we would humble ourselves. Oh, the things he might do if we would humble ourselves. If we could become nothing like he did. And when I was at this thing, they said, and I'm going to invite everybody here. If you want to come nothing with me, if you want more of Jesus, come on down to the front. Which I was like, man, that's such a trap. Because now if I stand back here, it looks like I don't want more of God, right? Um, you know y'all think that. Y'all can laugh, but y'all know it's true. And they're like, if you want to love Jesus, come down. If you don't, stay where you are. You're like, ah. I do, but now we have to go down. So I'm not going to do that to you this time. Let's just close our eyes. Oh, man, I just totally had the temptation to tell you to close your eyes and then be like, I see that hand, I see that hand. And even though I didn't see any hands, just to keep going with it. All right. Lord, I just pray that we could come to you as a people and humble ourselves right now before you. Everyone just take a minute and say what you need to say. If you want to become nothing, if you want to humble yourself, if you want more of God, just take a minute to talk to him on your own, you and him. We can't do this as a group. I can't do it for you. Lord, I just thank you that you humbled yourself, that you were willing to do it, Lord. To die on the cross for us, Lord, that we might be saved. You became nothing so that you might lift us up. Lord, and often 
often when we say we're lifting you up, there's a little bit of lifting up ourselves in there. And I just pray that I could be a person and we could be a people who are willing to be obedient to God even to death. That we could be satisfied with all that you've done already. That we could be satisfied with what you have given us. That we could be satisfied with whatever ministry you have us in. Whatever place we're in right now. I just pray that those things we've held back from you, that we could turn them over. I just pray that we would truly put our lives in your hands, Lord. Say, here I am, use me. I'll do whatever you ask, Lord. And it doesn't need to be a big thing. If you don't have glory for me, if you don't have honor for me, if you don't have bigger things for me, and all you have for me is more of you, that's the more I want. I don't need more influence. I don't need more glory. I want more of you. I want more of you. I don't, I don't need more money. I don't need more friends. I need more of you. Help us to turn over every single thing in our lives and lay it at your feet so that the more, the only thing that we want is you. I just pray that we would feel more of your presence, Lord, that we would hear more of your voice, that, you would, that we would feel more of your grace, that we would show more of your love, Lord, that we could have more of you and more of you alone so that we could show more of you and that we would see more people saved and more people would understand your love and more people would be called to you, not for our glory, but for yours. Not for the church, but for the living God. Not for this church, but for the living God. I just pray that we could have more of you, Lord. Help us to humble ourselves before you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. For more information about The Well and other resources to help you study the Bible, go to thewellministry.co.